0: Lord, we thank you. We can come to your word. And God, this morning, as we look at your truth, I pray that you'd set our minds on your truth and that, God, our thoughts would be transformed, our minds would be renewed. And, Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, Lord, in my weakness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to start another series going into the spring through the winter, into the spring. and But as we've gone through Advent and as we've gone through the opening of the year, uh, one more message I wanna share with you before we jump into one. Philippians chapter four. I read that in October, 62% of Americans were more anxious than they were in October of 2019. So I guess that means in January of 2021, Americans are 110% more worried than in January of 2020. I don't know if you uh, are feeling more anxious or more overwhelmed in these last several weeks and over this last week, but I find myself tempted to be a lot more anxious. Anybody relate with me out there today? Um, I think we can all relate to that, and... I want to comfort you this morning because we're going to look at a passage, and I've entitled this message, A Guide to Peace-Filled Living. A Guide to Peace-Filled Living. I was reading, and I want to read this lyric to you uh, of one of my favorite hymns. And this is my father's world. The morning light, this is my father's world. The birds, their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, his hand the wonders wrought. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. Good words this morning. As we get started God is in control, and he desires that his people walk not filled with anxieties, but walk filled with peace. And today we're going to read Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And we start this morning, he says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. As we think about the pandemic and all that is taking place and the people that so many we love have been affected so greatly, we think about the election and we think about all that's happening in the world over this last week, the question I want to ask you today is, are you trending more towards peace or anxiety? Where are you at? Some of you may be like, I'm completely neutral. I'm good to go. I am filled with peace. And I, I praise God if that's where you're at today. But the more I talk to people, the more I find over these last few days is that people are incredibly and anxiety about the future, and anxiety about the the stuff that's happened. People are divided politically, in families. People that tend to think a lot alike don't agree with each other. There's just a lot of divide and a lot of unrest. And I think it's wise to go to the Word of God and say, "Okay, how does God prescribe that we walk in peace? That as Christians we walk not dominated by fear and anxiety." but walk living out of the peace that he gives us in Jesus. I thought about a passage that really comforted me. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And that's what God desires for us to live out of. He desires that we Not be consumed with fears and not be consumed with worry. I was thinking about the backdrop to Philippians, and I really believe that the key passage in Philippians that drives the entire letter is found in chapter 1, verse 21. And Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And because Paul found the sufficiency that he needed in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ enabled him to live according to his will. Christ became his joy. Christ became his attitude. Christ gave him a perspective, even in prison, how that circumstance could be a ministry opportunity. Jesus Christ, because he was his life, became his all in all throughout. You remember in chapter three, verse 10, as he speaks about his change and his new goal, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. To experience the power of the resurrection of Christ is what we need to not be dominated by fear, to not be dominated by worry, to not be unsettled. It's Christ in us. And today we're gonna look at six essentials for peace filled living. Six essentials. If you take verse four of Philippians four and you go down to verse nine. There's command after command after command. And so what we begin to see is all of these commands, there's one that's not a command we're going to look at that falls up under one, but all of these commands really set the tone as to how we experience peacefulness, how we live walking in peace. But every one of these commands comes out of this reality. When Christ is our life, he enables us to experience and walk in these essentials that we're going to look at this morning. Six essentials for peace-filled living. The first one I want you to think about this morning is the first essential is rejoicing in all things. Look at verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That word we Are used to in church, you know, to rejoice, to be joyful. It is a a simple word in its meaning, to rejoice, to be glad. But notice a few things about it. He says, Rejoice in all things, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The first thing I want you to think about is it's a command. As Christians, we're commanded to live joyfully, we're commanded to rejoice. Now, you might be thinking, Well, that's easy to say. Sometimes we equate rejoicing with positive circumstances. We rejoice. uh, There's going to be a lot of Alabama fans rejoicing if they win tomorrow night. A lot of people excited, a lot of people happy. And there's going to be, you know, anytime anything goes well for you, there's a tendency, there's a human tendency reaction to being positive when good things take place. But what you have to understand is biblical joy is not based on the circumstance. It's based on Christ. And you may be thinking, well, that's easy for you to say. But but think about it. Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's writing it from prison, and he's writing it to people to say, look, I want you to understand rejoice and let it be a way of living. It's a command, it's in the present tense, and he repeats it. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say rejoice. He shows them where the focus of their joy ought to be. He says, rejoice in the Lord. I wonder when life hits you and you're tempted to worry and to be filled with anxiety, I want you to notice something. When we live anxious filled lives, and we live with a trajectory and we live trending towards a lack of peace, what you'll find if you take note is that that's when there's an absence of joy. There's an absence of rejoicing. You can't rejoice and be worried at the same time. They just don't work together. Think about it. The next time you're consumed with worry, stop and say, hey, I wonder the last time I rejoiced or I gave joy, or I reflected on God's blessings. You just don't see it. I like looking at this from the context of the story that we've been talking about, because we looked at 2 Peter. In 1 Peter, Peter is writing to a group of, of suffering Christians. And as he writes to these Christians, it's really fascinating how he encourages them to rejoice, Because they're suffering and they're up under a really terrible leader. In in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, immediately you're reminded that the Christians he's writing to are up under the rule of Nero. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't think there's probably a lot of excitement when they were watching election returns when Nero came into office. Not real promising. I, I think sometimes we can just lose perspective. And what does he do? In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, walk through these verses before we jump into our text. Peter's writing obviously different from where Paul's at, but I want you to see what anchors Peter's understanding of joy was the very same thing that anchored Paul's understanding of joy. Joy is not based on circumstances, it's based on Christ and it's based on our Blessings that we've experienced in Christ. First Peter 1:3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now notice these truths. These are life-giving. You think this would have encouraged a suffering church? a church that had been rejected, casted out, persecuted. He says in verse five, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then notice what he does in this transition. In this, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. We learn something really significant here. Joy is always centered on what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Joy begins there. Joy is enabled by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, but it focuses on that. And and what's fascinating is, you remember what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5? He said that joy is not just something that we do. Joy is actually a fruit of what? A fruit of who? The Holy Spirit of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And notice that. We've seen this before, but these characteristics hang out together. If we're going to think about peace-filled living, you can't find peace without joy. I, I like, it's funny, you know, thinking about all of the the younger kids, we watch, you know, growing up, we're reminded of ourselves growing up. And, and uh, I don't know about y'all, but I ran around with a group of people all the time. And if you were going to find me, you're going to find my friends. And if you're going to find peace in the New Testament, joy is going to be hanging out somewhere close. You see, peace-filled living, it's going to be absolutely a necessity, and it's going to be something the believer experiences. We can't walk in peace. We can't experience freedom from anxiety without joy. He says, rejoice. And so we look at this now. We see the first essential is rejoice in all things. But the second one is be gentle. Be gentle. And, and notice verse five here. Back in chapter two, in verse five, do you remember? We looked at this recently as we talked about Advent, but do you remember that passage that connected all of you know, Paul says, look, do nothing. Uh, out of selfishness. And then he turns into the greatest passage on, you know, one of the greatest passages on who Jesus was and what he did in his incarnation. And then in verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he tells him, he says, be gentle. And I was reading a, a commentary on this and it's, it's fascinating. Before I get to that, gentleness, what is it? It's important to understand. I like the definition of, of one commentator. He said, sweet reasonableness, generosity, goodwill, friendliness. This word means charity towards the faults of others, mercy towards the failures of others, leniency, Bright, big heartedness, moderation, forbearance. These are fascinating terms to show such a rich word. And, and I like what Robert Morgan says here. He says, in putting all this together, here's what we have. One of the major reasons for stress, worry, and anxiety in our lives is conflict and tension with other people. Do you agree with that? You ever find yourself anxious because of tensions with other people? I was telling the first group this morning, I can't tell you how many times over the years as a pastor, one of my least favorite things is when someone calls me up and they say, hey, uh, I've had something on my heart and mind and I need to get with you. Could you get with me in two days at 9 o'clock? And I'm thinking, sure. What's going on? You know, can you give me a heads up? Have you ever had one of those meetings? And I've, I've like, I've thought, I've gone out of those meetings before and, and because of the thought of conflict, or the thought of tension, I have literally almost become sick thinking about what they want to meet about. And then that's usually when the person gets with you and says, "Hey, I just want to let you know how much I love you and your family." You know, "Hey, I wanted to buy you hundred dollars to Cracker Barrel," uh, you know, something like that. And I'm thinking I've been worried sick. But go further than that. It's not just the fear of maybe a conflict. But when you're in conflict with people, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a teammate. I remember having conflict with a guy on my college basketball team, and you know what? There was anxiety with it. I didn't look forward to seeing him. There was a period of time. Some of y'all can relate this morning, and so think about it. Isn't it interesting? In a context where we typically don't go back to verse 4, we think about just not being anxious. We could really gain from understanding all these commands, be joyful. How are we going to be joyful? When Christ is our life, Christ becomes our joy. when When we walk and abiding in Christ, he becomes our gentleness. He changes the way we act towards people. I'll tell you what, I I have learned more about social media. It's like, it's such a trap, isn't it? And how many people are gracious on social media? Not many. And, and people, whether it's sports, whether it's politics, people are rough. They're, they're just, they go after each other. Have you noticed that? You know, I know there's, there's some sweet, kind-hearted, benevolent people on there. I just hadn't found them yet. And, uh, but you know what? It, it, we learn something when we see that. We learn something about our own flesh, right? Because that's who we are when we're not walking out of who what we have and who we are in Christ. I think sometimes I'm really good at picking out your sin, and I'm really good at noticing everything you do wrong. But do you realize that what we see in others that is wrong, that is evil, that is wicked, is no better than our own flesh? That's who we are. But there's a gentleness here. A gentleness that that is is, is, is kind. There's a kindness. I, I can, you can disagree with me, but I can be gentle towards you. I can be kind to you even if you dislike me. There, there's a kindness that only Christ can produce. A gentleness. And it's Christ that produces it within our Life. I tell you, the, the danger is that we get our eyes so focused on the here and now, we lose sight of biblical truth. We lose sight of the city of God. Augustine talked about the city of man versus the city of God. And if we're not careful, we get our eyes so much down here that we lose complete understanding. Remember Philippians 2.14, Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I was talking to a friend who thinks differently than I do about a lot of things. And they think differently than I do politically a little bit. There's nuances, but they're different in the way they think. And, and I was fascinated because in talking to them, I noticed that they were in turmoil and I was like thinking, regardless of politics right now, people in the world are in general in turmoil. They're unsure about the vaccination. They're unsure about loved ones. They're unsure about the future. And now you throw in the election. You throw in the turmoil. You throw in the divide of the country. But I want to remind you something. As Christians. As, as people in the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to be the most reasonable, gentle people on the planet. We ought to be as lights in a crooked and twisted world. And what do we do? Verse 16 says, holding fast to the word of life, chapter 2 says, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud, Paul says, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So we see Right out of the gate, two quick ones. Look at the third one. We're not only rejoicing all things, not only be gentle, but notice this. If we're going to live filled with peace, God's gonna bring our mind to the reality of his nearness. Never forget God's nearness. I tell you, um, I've been overwhelmed at how many hypotheticals a lot of people are playing out right now. And it goes back to, you know, okay, what happens if people have this ideology? What does it look like for the world we live in? And so it goes like this. Well, do you realize this is probably gonna happen next? Do you realize this will probably happen then? Do you realize the implications of religious freedom here? Do you realize the free speech issues here? Have you heard some of these? And and, and if you're not careful, it literally leads you to a place of confusion and a place of like borderline panic. And it's not healthy and it's not of God because the one confidence that the people in Paul's day, the people in Peter's day had, do you, can you imagine the futility of Christians in Rome meeting together and saying, hey, what do y'all think's gonna happen under Nero over the next three years? What do you think he's going to do next? What do you think he's going to do then? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? What was it that gave them a compass? The nearness of the Lord. If we lose sight of the nearness of the Lord, we will literally be like a boat on the waves moving everywhere. It takes one to know one, though, because I feel like sometimes I get my mind so distracted. And I get so uneasy with the things that are happening, not just in political senses, but You look at the world in general, regardless of who's the president, regardless of who's in Congress, you look at the state of the world, it reminds you in many ways of what we saw happen in the UK several years ago. We watched men like Spurgeon preach the gospel. We watched men like John Stott. We watched people that came through the pulpits of England that were some of the most powerful preachers the world has ever seen, and now many of those churches are empty. And there's a godless society taking place. And so regardless of the climate, many people have literally grown in despair. And I thought, what are we going to do? How are we going to live? But be encouraged this morning. He says here, let your reasonableness, reasonableness, that's hard to say, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, what does he mean here? He could be speaking about nearness in time or nearness in space. And I think that you could be safe by going either way. I think he's speaking predominantly of nearness in space. He's near to us, his presence, but it could easily be the other one. It could easily be. Because all through the scripture, we see this. We see this idea of the imminent return of Jesus Christ over and over and over. Peter says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self controlled with sober minded and sober minded. Hebrews 10. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, it was the confidence that God was near in time that led them to holiness in the midst of chaos. God is near. Uh, Be comforted. We are are secure and we are safe in the hands of our God. And and be comforted that life will, as many people say, will throw you a lot of curveballs. Well, it's it's not just life throwing you curveballs. It's God working all things after the counsel of his will. And he will do what not only brings him glory, but he will work for our good. Do we believe that today? I know sometimes... I think maybe I say I believe that, but in my practical theology, I've lost sight of it. Can you understand what I'm saying? Today, be encouraged by that because when we come back to these truths, we understand that these things are happening and they're going to take place according to God's will. Listen to Revelation 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. And what was he speaking about? He was speaking about things there in the future. He was speaking about what God was going to do. And so we see 1 John saying, And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, you see the confidence of the Christian. I love Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Don't lose sight that God is near. He's near in time, but he's not only near in time, he's near in space. You say, what does that mean? He's near in space. He's present. He's with us. He guides us. You know, Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. That's the confidence in the Great Commission at the end, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age, I remember Dr. Hillstrom at Western Seminary. He's now in heaven. Dear, dear old man in the faith. And I'll never forget, he looked at us with a glimmer in his eyes. And as he was discussing the Greek and he was discussing the tenses here, he said, men, he said, this means age upon age upon age. Upon age, upon age, upon age, we never have to fear because the Lord is at hand. He's near in time. He's near in space. There's nothing that can take place in this world that we lose that promise. Be encouraged. It's easy to to get our minds thinking strange. The first one that we see is essential for peace-filled living is rejoicing in all things. The second one, with people, be gentle. The third one, never lose sight of the nearness of God. But look at the fourth one. Don't be anxious. I, I, I'd forgotten to write this one down in my cross references, and I was reading it before I came up here. First Peter 1, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting All your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The nearness of God assures us of the care of our God. This morning, are you filled with anxiety? The word means anxious care. To care, be anxious, troubled, to take thought. So many anxious thoughts we can be tempted to have. Jesus, however, does something remarkable. He, he says in Matthew 6, Mike read out of that passage earlier, and he says in verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? In and, and 31, he says, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? It, we can take confidence and it's in that passage that Jesus does something remarkable. I remember seeing this for the first time a few years ago. I'd never seen it. In the context of the Sermon on the Mount, worry is right next to the section on treasures. Never even contemplated the connection. And, And the man said it like this. He said, you know, we worry when what we treasure the most is at risk. But we rest when what we treasure the most is secure. Wonder this morning if you're filled with worry, what does it reveal? It reveals that our treasures are in the wrong place. You, you see, like we, we, it's interesting because worry can seem like I, I told you this story many times, but I remember you know as I got through my 20s and as I was entering my 30s and and, and God brought Anne in my life, and it's amazing how you know God uses a spouse to help you in the process of sanctification. You know, normally it's that whole idea of like, we're like, get behind me, Satan, you know, when somebody says anything to us. But all of a sudden, you know, people that love the Lord, that love you, that are in your life in that relationship, the Lord began to use her. And I remember one time she was like, you know, you're not trusting God. You're not trusting God. You're going crazy. And I'll never forget, it was like I was taking the normal worries of life and I was justifying those worries. as like, what else would people do when they're faced with these types of feelings? They worry. That's normal. It's just like breathing. But then I realized, wait a minute, my worry reflects what I love. My worry reflects my treasures. And when when Peter could look at a group of people who literally were in danger of losing their life at any time, and he says, look, you can rejoice because your security is in the hands of Almighty God. It freed them because all of the loves of this world can be taken from me. And the moment they become at risk, if they truly have my eye and my love, I will be filled with anxiety but nothing can compromise my security in Christ. It's convicting, isn't it? But let it be hopeful because God gives us this passage because he desires that we not live in fear, that we not live with a lack of peace, that we not live filled with anxiety. He says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious, but trust him. And he moves right into the next one and it goes hand in hand. He says, rejoice, again think of it like this as we look to God in the midst of trouble God gives us the ability in Christ Jesus to be joyful as we look to him he produces a gentleness in our lives in our relationships he gives us a promise and a sense of his nearness he gives us the ability not to completely go after anxiety and but do what be continual in prayer with thanksgiving, continual in prayer with thanksgiving. Notice all of the words he uses here in verse 6 that speak of this. He says, don't be anxious, but in everything by what? Prayer. And then he says supplication. Then he mentions another type of prayer. He says thanksgiving. And then he says, let your request. He says four different words that relate to prayers there. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, request. I like here what Eugene Patterson says, or Peterson says, in the message, he he says it like this. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Are you you going crazy this morning in your mind? It's not hard to do. People are really nervous about a lot of things. But what does God tell us to do? He says, take all of that worry and cast it onto him. Take all of that worry and and let all of these petitions and praises that God will bring us to, let it shape that worry into prayer. He says we're to do this with thanksgiving. This is amazing. I want you to think of something. This is remarkable because this is not a normal response. This is not a human response. Humanity doesn't react this way in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial, in the midst of anxiety. They don't react this way. But how, here's the question I don't want you to think about. And if we get this wrong, we misunderstand the gospel. How is it possible for a person to live Rejoicing, gentle, reflecting on God's nearness, not worrying, praying, thankfully. How? It's only possible because of Christ. And it's exactly what we see in Philippians because Paul is so moved by the work of Christ and so moved by Jesus in him. He says, for to me to live is Christ. The essence of my life is Christ. This morning, don't be surprised, you know, if, if, if there's not, if you're filled with anxiety, no peace. If you're filled with temporal thinking, not reflecting on the nearness of God, no peace. If you're filled with strife in your relationships, there's not going to be peace. If you're filled with a lack of joy, it all goes back to the same source. It comes from the flesh, but we can be thankful because of Christ. And then finally, it's fascinating how we move through this. I would normally, and I was, I was planning on stopping it right there in verse seven, and those were my five points. But but notice something here. He In verse 7, and we're going to come back to this, and the peace of God, that serenity and calmness that only the Holy Spirit can give us in the midst of trouble, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And it really does seem to stop there. But then he says in verse 8, it's as if he says, now look, guard your thoughts. Guard your thoughts because your thoughts are going to be a big part of this. And, and I say that because why would I think that verse 8 can, is part of this? Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Which really makes me think that verse 8 is a part of all of this. In verse 8, he gives another command. And I think the way we need to look at it is this. The first one's rejoice. The second one, be gentle. Third, don't forget the nearness of God. Fourthly, don't be anxious. Five, continually pray with thanksgiving. But number six, dwell on godly thoughts. Dwell on godly thoughts. It's easy to let our thoughts run wild. To just scatter and go crazy. I think that all of we, we can understand all of the other statements and all of the other verses but i want you to see something here if we're going to live out of the peace of christ it is going to be a submission to christ with our minds we've got to guard our thoughts have you ever noticed that if you don't let your thoughts if you let them run wild and unchecked they'll run wild and unchecked? Do you realize that, and I think a lot of people lose sight of this, part of discipleship is beginning to understand that walking with Christ involves laying down my life before him Situation to situation. And a major part of this is literally taking the thoughts that come into my brain and submitting them to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Thoughts of fear, thoughts of anger, thoughts of immorality, thoughts of panic. Thoughts of thoughts of, you name it. I mean, I I bet you could help me fill in the list. If we had a board up here, you could probably come up with a lot. But now wait a minute. What does it look like for the child of God who's walking submissive to Christ? Paul would say, look, for to me to live is Christ. That's gonna involve submitting my mind, submitting my thoughts. And he says here very specifically what these thoughts are to look like. You see, we're to think in a way that honors God. And he goes through this list. He says, whatever is true. He says, is it true in conduct, sincere, upright. Whatever is honorable, whatever is dignified. Whatever is right, whatever is righteous, whatever is just, it's conformable to right. It pertains to that which is right. Whatever is pure, I mean, we get the sense of that word. It's free from defile. It's not impure. We see whatever is lovely, it's it's beloved. It's acceptable. It's pleasing. Whatever is of good repute, it's well spoken of. It's praiseworthy. He says if there's any excellence, and the word means that it, it, it's, it's in a moral sense. It gives man his worth, his efficiency, moral excellency. If there's any excellence, if there's Anything worthy of praise, applause, commendation. He says, dwell on these things. I was thinking about, you know, you could, one exercise you could do, or maybe just reflecting would help you do this. When's the last time that you just consumed a lot of social media? What kind of what kind of reactions do you have? I mean, I'm serious. Like, I mean, most people I know, they say, wow, man, I, 30 minutes went by like that. I was consumed with this on Instagram or on Facebook or Twitter or all the other uh, apps that 47-year-olds don't know about. And uh, I, I was really, like, enamored with it. And, and I, want, I want you to think about something. Over this last few days, if I've spent, for, for every minute that I've been exposed to it, it's led to more temptations for me to be irritable, frustrated, panicked, nervous. And I've literally, I, I if I did my pulse before I started, I would have a higher heartbeat when I got done. And I guarantee it, my blood pressure's gone up. And let me ask you something. What do you think are the implications for a child of God who consumes? a ton of social media and rejects the word of God. What do you think it looks like in their life practically? If you were sitting across the table, biblically counseling someone, some of you might be horrified by that, but just imagine somebody said, uh, Hey, I want to go to lunch with you. And they sat across the table and they said, Hey, I'm not spending any time in God's word, but I'm spending four hours a day on Instagram, watching people tell me about what's getting ready to happen in America. What would be your biblical counsel to them as to how to think peacefully? You see, Paul gives us a prescription here. We have to dwell on the things that are righteous, dwell on godly thoughts. And I want to encourage you, if, 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 as much as we can learn from our, all of our perspective of being over here, now I want you to think on something else. Think about the last time you spent a lot of time in God's Word. And think about the the freedom, the peacefulness, the clarity that it brought you in your heart and in your mind. We need desperately during not just these days, but all of our days to have the word of God renew our minds and transform our thinking or we will not be peace filled people. And I want you to be comforted throughout this because Over and over and over and over. That's why I love verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. He will guard our minds and our hearts. Think about a guard. Think about, you know, you you go to these really fancy places and and you see guards out front. They're not going to let anybody in. They're protecting. It's, It's like there's guards that will fail. There's guards that will let down their duty. But God is promising he is near to us and he will guard our thought processes. He'll guard our minds. He'll guard our hearts. What a comfort this morning. So six essentials for peace filled living. And I want to leave you with a reminder today. What is the last name that we see in that passage in Isaiah chapter 9? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and what? Prince of Peace. Do you realize that if we were capable of peacefulness, If we were capable of living a peace-filled life, we would need Jesus to come do for us what we could not do. The incarnation is our invitation to see not only our need as sinners, our lack of peace, our lack of wisdom, our lack of strength, our lack of anything, but to look unto Christ. And as we look unto Christ, as we yield to him, as we trust him, he's the only way that we can experience a peace-filled life. So today as we leave, I challenge you, I encourage you, don't live out of fear. Don't live out of dread. Don't live filled with anxiety. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us the power of his Holy Spirit. And he calls us today to see these essentials that will be in our life when we walk in peace. Let's look to him. Let's trust him. And remember, let's not get so sidetracked that we offer no peace and no hope to a world that is confused. Wouldn't it be tragic if the people of God were in nothing but chaos right now? While people who have not experienced the Prince of Peace live chaotic, drama-filled lives, let's live mindful of his truth. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for hope. I thank you, Lord, that you're near, and God, that your return is near. Lord, what a beautiful reminder that you're near to our heart. You, You indwell us. As Paul says, the mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You live within us. We're never alone. And oh God, I pray that we would see the joy of peace that comes in and through Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would take our minds and our hearts. And Lord, your word reproves us. It points out in our life the areas where we're out of the will of God. So today I pray, God, that all of us here, Lord, would say, Lord, what do you want to show me? And how do you want me to respond? And how do you want me to repent? as a result of being in your word. And oh God, I pray that, that we would submit to you, that, that we would look to you in dependent obedience and see the hope, and see the hope that you have not left us here, but God, that you have come to work. Lord, thank you that you're in control. And God, that you are the eternal ruler. If we read one more verse, we see that your government will never end. And Lord, in these days, we look to you to guide us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.